Welcome to the Pop Dust Podcast. I'm Jordan Edwards. My guest today is Jamie Stewart from the band Shushu. From its beginnings in the early 2000s, the band has become one of the most revered avant-garde and experimental rock acts, always exploring new territory and inspiring countless musicians along the way. I first want to ask what you've been doing, what you've been working on recently. You've had time to yourself at home, so anything fun and creative come out of it? Yeah, uh, just fin- we're finishing a new record, so um, which unfortunately, because of uh, Plague Mania, is getting delayed. But just putting the finishing touches on that, or the release is getting delayed. John, the producer John Congleton and I, and uh, Ben Chisholm from uh, from Chelsea Wolf, we've been working on a collaboration together. Uh, I play in another band called Hexa. Um, been working on that music a little bit and uh, just doing a bunch of covers to put on to our band campsite. It's surprisingly, I don't know, I mean, I think as, as is the case for everybody, time seems to be moving at its sort of peculiar rate, and I I feel like I'm doing stuff all the time, but the amount that I'm actually getting done seems to it's be a, weird, a lot less than really adds up. I feel like days go by like a snap of a finger, but then it feels like the weeks are crawling by. Yeah, yeah, I'm having the exact same sensation. I want to ask about how you record and collect the sounds for your albums because you're known for having a really big variety of of different instrumentation, of different instruments and uh, and sound effects and things like that. I want to know how collecting and recording sound is different for you now than it was in the early 2000s when you were first starting out with the oh, shoe oh, yeah. that's, that's, that's that's interesting. Um, well, for, for the first part, before I got into songwriting, musical pursuits were more around a kind of vain attempt to be a, a session musician and a recording engineer. My first forays into music had as much to do uh, with the technical and sonic aspects to it as it did with um, you know actually playing so my 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 dad was a record producer um, so think thinking about songs in in terms of how things sound was something that was kind of always kind of floating around in the back conversation of what music was about it kind of it it came from um, you know just kind of by chance having been I think you know a lot, largely through uh, through my dad, um, kind of having maybe a, a wider palette of records to listen to than you know most most younger people would have. You know, just from you know discovering things you know on on the radio or whatever. You know, he introduced me to things like field recording, and uh, and that kind of led me to explore experimental music, and and also I mean the music that I was that was around when I was listening to. I mean when I first started. Uh, you know, getting into music, the palette was pretty wide. I mean, he was a big Prince fan as a kid, and he has always really experimented a lot with sound. And, um, and you know, and into uh, that kind of the early 4AD records, and a lot of those have to do with sound, and, you know, in addition to, you know, kind of more traditional aspects of songwriting. So I, I, I suppose it's kind of always been there since, you know, since my most or the interest in sound and different types of sounds has always, you know, has, has always been a part of my general interest in music. Um, does that answer that part of the question? Yeah, well, I was just okay. curious about, you know, the actual recording, you know, oh, thinking, of, thinking about like how <laughs> nowadays, like you, you, 
Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate the background. And before you get into the recording, uh, just talking about growing up with your dad as a, as a as a record producer. Did you spend a lot of time in the studio with him? Did you visit him on on sessions and stuff like that? It was, it was not as much as I wished that I had. I mean, he was he was pretty checked out as a uh, sort of normal father. I mean, I was in studios occasionally. But it wasn't like he was showing me around the studio, teaching me stuff. I was like falling asleep under the mixing desk because he had to take care of me that night while he was like working. And so it was more of an obligation. Yeah. Well, he was a complicated human being. He had a lot of his own problems. It wasn't like he was trying to be an absentee dad. I think he was just trying to not lose his mind and and was just working all the time in order to not lose his mind. It wasn't like he was a shithead. He just was, that had a basically a horrendous life. Um, so, I mean, and as I got older and got more interested in music, he would, he, he would never really show me stuff directly, but he would, and this kind of factored into getting into, into sounds. He would just, I would come home from school one day and there would just be like a synthesizer in my bedroom. And it would sort of be like, it would be my job to figure out how to use it. And if I figured out how to use it, then it would stay there. And if I didn't figure out how to use it, I would come up from school one day and it wouldn't be there anymore. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like he's sort of threw me in the pool. Um, but it was it was a good it was a good way it was a good way to learn. And and your father Michael, he was a he was mostly like a pop producer. It's not like he was producing, you know, uh, Frank Zappa or something. He was producing. No, no, no. He was, but he he had always one thing that he had told me. Uh, that he always regretted was that he didn't really push things too far or as far as he wanted to. I think he, he produced, he told where in, uh, according to him, he had, he had, or he had told me that he produced a lot of pop stuff because like I was saying before, his insides were so smashed up that he was trying to make things that sounded nice. They kind of uh, moved away from those feelings. And, you know, there's kind of two ways to handle bad feelings in music either dive all the way into him or go completely in the opposite direction. But he, but he said that he regretted that he didn't experiment more, that he always wanted to. And, and he encouraged me to do that. Uh, or one of, one of the things that he, one of the two excellent pieces of musical advice that he did give me, uh, one of, one of which was always push things too far. But, you know, uh, I when I was, when I was very young, there was a show on MTV called 120 minutes. That was basically like the alternative show. Yeah. Uh, that was on Sundays from like, 10 to midnight or something and he would sit there and watch that with me and it would you know be stuff like pil and the cure and uh you know new order and he seemed to be way more into the crazier stuff than i was yeah yeah <laughs> but he was also probably stoned when we were watching it so it's probably what sounded cool to him. um so getting back to the sound recording thing the, the question i was asking was yes yeah, sorry you know <laughs> yeah you're fine you're fine finding these interesting percussion sounds, these field recordings, um, samples from different synthesizers, whatever. Make, putting that stuff together, I'm sure it was way different in 2002 than it is now because you have so many more resources available digitally. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah for, for sure. That's that I was gonna say now it's pretty, I mean, you can order anything off of eBay or Reverb or whatever. Right. Um, and I think because of that and, you know, probably the last the band's been around for 18 years and maybe the, the last eight years my collection of instruments has grown exponentially versus the beginning i think the interest in a wide variety of sounds particularly different percussion instruments has been there since the beginning and has remained but 
you know, access to them is infinitely easier. Um, the person that I started the band with, Corey McCulloch, he and I would just, I mean, there, you know, there used to be 20 million more musical instrument shops in the world than there are now. And we would just drive, I mean, particularly in the Bay Area, there was like maybe 20 or 25 of them, you know, between San Jose and San Francisco and the East Bay. And we would just kind of go through all of them and see what we could find. And uh, we would drive into Indian neighborhoods in Berkeley and see what they had. And we, you know, drive into Chinatown in, in uh, San Francisco and see what, what different stores there had. Did you always have an interest in instruments that weren't necessarily Western or American? It, it wasn't. It wasn't inherently that we were looking for instruments that didn't have to do with Western music. Was, we were just looking for the widest palette of sounds possible. And I mean, some of that came through having gotten interested in, in, uh, in gamelan music, and then through gamelan music became interested in uh, modern classical composers who were influenced by gamelan music, like Lou Harrison and John Cage and people like that. And I guess I mean I guess you could say it's more work in that it you know it you know was t- it took forty minutes of driving from right you know San Jose to, to Berkeley or whatever, um, but but in some ways it was more exciting. And I and and because there were a smaller number of things available, I think, um, as is frequently the case with this kind of thing, we were probably a little, we were forced, we were forced to be more creative with it. I'm glad that we started when there were more limitations because it forced us to do more with less. And now that I have a fucking ton of stuff, <laughs> kind of the basis for getting the most out of it was was already established. I think had I had I started out with a ton of things. I, I probably would uh, the um, the kind of investigative procedures for what is possible to uh, with with those things wouldn't necessarily have been or the curiosity wouldn't have been honed as much right. as um, right now um, when you were starting the band in in the Bay Area did you belong was there a quote unquote scene for that there type of music or, or we, how would you we describe were, we were really not really so allowed to be part of it. <laughs> there was, we were we were in where where do you live? I'm in Brooklyn right now. Oh right right right. Yeah. Um, we were in San Jose, which was and is kind of a nothing. Although it's a giant city, I mean it could be like you know I don't fucking know like Peoria. Like it's just it is a city, but there's fucking nothing going on there, and there never has been. Um, and like an hour north was San Francisco, and in the early two thousands. There was a really crazy, super intense, good scene in San Francisco. So, um, like an we, avant-garde we, experimental scene, or oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, there's there really isn't now, but kind of from maybe 2000 to maybe like 2008, there was a ton of super crazy bands there, um, and a, and a lot of people playing. Uh, and we would we would try to play shows with those people, but they largely didn't want to have anything to do with us. So occasionally we would. We would put on shows ourselves and invite them to play, um, you know, trying to make like a quote unquote cool show uh, happen. But other than other than Deerhoof, who we have remained really good friends with, and who were in, they were in, in that scene at the time, yeah, not, not all, all those cats though. We were fucking jive asses from San Francisco, pretty much ignore us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little has changed. <laughs> I'm sure in the last few years, you've answered a lot of questions about the Twin Peaks show, about the Twin Peaks project. The one aspect of it that I'm interested in 
is taking this performance that was for a museum, that was a museum piece, and translating it into a studio album. What were, can you tell me a story about how it went from this art project into something you could release to the public? Oh, there was like a very, very little translation. I mean, for the record, we just played the set live in the studio as it, in, in the exact same way that we played it. And we, I think we did a little bit of overdubbing, but it's, it's pretty much a live record. I mean, we had, we had put a lot of time into the sequence of the show and the kind of how it was organized textually and the, the pacing of it. So when, and, and by the time we were actually at the time we recorded, we hadn't really played it that many times. Um, but we had played it a few times. It was done completely. I mean, on, you know, any other shoe record is done in exactly the, the opposite way. Uh, yeah. you know, a, a lot of very, you know, con construction and, you know, an, an attempt to be, to imp imp improvise things and then sort of edit them into songs. When you were, when you were performing it did, and, um, did it feel more like you were playing a classical piece of music versus, you know, just a, a concert, you know what I'm saying? Cause it's, cause it's, even though your own instrumentation, you're interpreting yeah, it, it like yeah, it, a, an orchestra it was. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting observation. Initially it was pretty difficult for, for me. I don't know how it was for Angela. Um, but uh, I, you know, I mean, Shushu stuff is very personal and uh, you know, uh, largely about very specific things, and, and Twin Peaks was entirely a tribute to, you know, our heroes. So, you know, kind of injecting some heart and emotionality into that took took me a little while to feel comfortable with it. By the time we had played it a few times, I think I was able to understand how showing appreciation could be uh, an emotional expression. But it, it wasn't it wasn't initially apparent as to how to do it. You talk about getting comfortable with the music. I think the hardest thing with that sort of project would be finding the right instrumentation because with the Twin Peaks soundtrack, the instruments that were being used, the keyboards, you know, that was almost as iconic as the melodies themselves. So I think oh, that yeah, would have been the sure. toughest. The toughest. So can you talk about how you decided the instrumentation part of that? Uh, it was actually a fairly formal conversation. We sat down at it, at, uh, at a table, and you know, uh, Jose da Silva, who had curated the show in uh, Brisbane, where we played it initially, had sent us uh, all of the music that was in Twin Peaks and in Fire Walk with Me, which is actually quite a bit of music. Um, and he said, you know, it, he said it, we didn't just have to play the hits. Like he encouraged us to play some of the hits and then some of the deeper cuts. I think there's one song that we played that I think is in the series for 30 seconds or something. It took it, it you know, it's a, because it's such a long list of music and all of it is so beautiful. Um, I mean, it took kind of a long time to pare it down into a reasonably length set, and then you know, we'd like with a piece of paper and a pencil, just you know, said, okay, these are the elements that make up this song. What can what can we play that it sounds like, so that the music sounds like how it has influenced us, rather than us just aping what the music was. It definitely sounds like a shushu. Oh, I mean, that, that, that was that was our attempt. It, I mean, we weren't trying to. In no way were we trying to. Uh, although it was a tribute, we weren't trying to sound like a tribute band. We were trying to sh have the record be about how important how Twin Peaks had made Shushu the band that whatever the fuck Shushu is that had made Shushu the band that it is. Right. 
um, which is, it, you know, I mean, if I was going to name five major influences, Twin Twin Peaks and David Lynch's artistic practice and and movies would definitely be one of them. It was a, it was not in any way loosely decided. <laughs> did you get? Did you ever hear any feedback directly from David Lynch or any comments? We, we from met David him Lynch? And, and Angelo Badalamente, um, and they were incredibly nice about it. Extraordinarily nice about it. Uh, it, it could could not have been a, a bigger compliment. One thing I'm going to do different, one brand new for your interview, is I've made this thing that I'm going to do called the Music Nerd Questionnaire, and I'm just going to ask you <laughs> some music nerd questions. Well, my friend, I am a music nerd. So, and these are these, some of these are about you, and some of these are just about your opinions, and there's no right or wrong answers. So, question one. What is your favorite Tom Waits song? Hmm. Swordfish Trombones is my favorite Tom Waits album. I mean, when when we did a, like a speaking of Deerhoof and Angela about ten years ago, we did a we played all of Unknown Pleasures, and I had listened to that record probably twenty thousand times, and then realized as we were learning him that I didn't know the names of any of the songs. Probably Town with No Cheer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like so. What's your favorite? Mine is mine is Alice, which is like oh, late yeah. career. It's yeah, and, no, 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 I know that song too. And oh, like really... I, I, I was the reason I, I thought about this was I feel like a music nerd would like throw shade on that answer because it's late later career. Tom, no, Waits no, no, no. His later his later stuff is wonderful. He and my uncle were friends. He sang at his wedding. <laughs> oh wow, that's a that's a nice little nugget for the Wikipedia page. Uh, so question two. What is your opinion of the band Genesis? Oh, well, um, on one tour about four years ago, we listened to it. We had a couple days of our regular European tour manager, Jakob Durasco. He is and has an extraordinarily knowledgeable taste in music or knowledgeable, uh, is extraordinarily knowledgeable of music. And we were listening to a couple days of just Genesis live records of, of Peter Gabriel era. And it was one of some of the most peculiar, baffling music I had ever heard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew some of their hits and I knew some of the post Peter Gabriel, like kind of 80s sort of semi pop hits. Abacab. But yeah, <laughs> but man, but that that early live stuff. I mean, I I feel like I have pretty open mind about music, but I, it was a truly incomprehensible, um, and I think because it was incomprehensible, I cannot do anything but uh, but be impressed by it. Yeah, my my roommate Charlie is a big advocate of Phil Collins as a drummer, and his oh, he's, he's yeah. incredible, incredibly good drummer. I was actually, it's funny you should say that. I was just, you know, that the We Are the World song. Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, not We Are the World. Uh, do they know it's Christmas? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. The Bob uh, Geldof in the, thing. In the, yeah, in in the video, uh, John Taylor is playing bass for it, and Phil Collins is playing drums, and they just they sound fucking great together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> John Taylor would have been in his early twenties, and I was just I thought it was cool that they he's who was one of my he's one of my favorite bass players. Yeah. And I was speaking of being a music nerd, I was just you know it was just so cool that he sounded you know as a really young guy sounded like such a hot shot. Right. Um, yeah, but Phil Collins is a is a motherfucker. <laughs> Phil, that's a good. Um, so, <laughs> he is. Yeah, yeah. Moving on, question three: What instrument do you wish you were better at playing? Oh, it's all of them. God, that's 
<laughs> technical aptitude is not is not my strong suit. Um, I think if I could, if I could be uh, if I could be an incredible drummer, I would I would I would be I would be super excited about that. My favorite musicians are drummers. Who is your? Do you have a Do you have a favorite drummer? I have a ton of favorite drummers. Besides Phil Collins. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, two of them I'm friends with: Chess Smith and Greg Sonye. All the Motown stack session dudes I totally love. Kevin Haskins from Bauhaus I think is great. Uh, Bernard Purdy, like the cross section of like post punk drumming and then kind of sixties and seventies funk and soul drumming I totally love. Ringo I totally love. Basically people who people who play songs. Uh, David Kendrick who play who played in Sparks and uh, Devo is fucking fantastic. Speaking of Devo, here's my next question. Whose career would you rather have? Mark Mothersbaugh or Danny Elfman? Oh. That's it's super nerdy and it's like No, no, it's a yeah. good question. I'm I'm genuinely trying to decide. I think like Mothersbaugh's film and TV soundtrack stuff is as a little bit wider breadth. Um like Danny Elfman stuff always sounds like exactly like Danny Elfman stuff. And I do feel like like Devo is a better band than Oingo Boingo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, uh, I mean, Oingo Boingo has some cool songs, but Danny Elfman stuff, his soundtrack stuff basically just sounds like Oingo Boingo. Like the vibe is exactly the right, same. Right, Which I think is cool that he maintained that and he discovered something that's really distinctly him. But I think personally, I would want to do things that were a little broader. So I'd probably say Mother's Ball. I think it's cool on Mother's Ball did like... Oh. <laughs> I totally forgot this. Corey McCulloch and I, somehow I, in the... I had gotten Mark Mothersbaugh's home phone number in the early 90s, and I kept it in a phone book. And Corey McCulloch, who I started, who I mentioned I started Shushu with, every time we would finish a record, when we were done, like the minute we were like, all right, we're done, we would crank call Mark Mothersbaugh. <laughs> we probably did it like nice. four or five times. Nice. See, I thought, it, I thought there was going to be some sweet story about how you were really wanting to show it to Mark Mothersbaugh to get his Oh, opinion. no, no. It was us just being shitheads. Yeah. <laughs> Just being total disruptive dicks. Next question. What style or genre of music would people be surprised that you listen to? Oh, I listen to it. Mostly listen to super normal, boring, really regular classical music. That's probably 90% of what I listen to. The three Bs. Really? See, I would have, I would have picked you more of a Stravinsky guy. Oh, I totally, completely love all that stuff as well. Yeah. And I have spent a ton of time listening to really intense abrasive classical music um but in the last in the last year yeah i think i listened to like 80s goth hits and then kusc which is the classical station in los angeles and yeah. that's it you're so classy that's so classy <laughs> yeah. yeah with your cup of tea it's nice of you to say thank you okay so final question this is more of a fun one who is your favorite fictional band? Oh. Like from a movie or TV show? Probably, uh, oh my God, I didn't remember. Uh, so there was this, there was this cartoon that my sister was really into called Jam and the Holograms. There was, they did a remake of it, like yeah. a live action remake of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jem's, the enemy band of Jam and the Holograms was called the Misfits. And they were sort of like a kind of trashy sunset sunset strip kind of glam metal slash kind of punk rock band. They're probably they they had the their song went something like 
we are the misfits and we come to play or something. <laughs> something really kind of goony like that. I, it was it was sort of like the first time I realized that there could be like bands for bad kids. Um, and it kind of sort of it they got me into understanding that there were kind of two paths in music. You know, there's like you know kind of uh, the Phil Collins '80s hits of music. And then, like the sort of '70s Phil Collins, <laughs> that, right. those, that those were that's, two that's distinctly two different paths. Yeah, um, so yeah. I, I learned I learned a lot from from the Misfits, not those Misfits, the other the right. animated cartoon Misfits. Right, but I enjoy Dan Zig as much as the next guy. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know know if he lives there anymore. But when I was in high school, we used to drive by his house, which had a black Porsche in the front. The house was painted dark gray. And there was a very thick lawn that was completely dead. <laughs> That's like when I think of what Danzig's house would it look was like. Exactly what you would imagine. Yeah. It would look like. Wow. All right, Jamie. Well, that's all I have for you. Thank you so much for talking to me. I'll, These were excellent questions, Jordan. I really, really thoroughly and deeply appreciate the music nerd questions. All right. Thank you. Thank it was you. nice to talk to you. Take all right. care. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Pop Dust Podcast. I'm Jordan Edwards. You can find me at jordanedwardsstudio.com or on Instagram at jordanedwardsstudio. And be sure to check out the latest in music, pop culture, and entertainment at popdust.com.